What denomination are you? You know, that's a question that maybe you've been asked by a friend from time to time. And there's reasons why they will ask you that. You know, they'll get into their car and they'll drive through the town, the community, and they'll notice uh, all of the different church buildings in town. Uh, they'll notice that each church building has a different name. Right? There's a, uh, a Catholic church and a Methodist church, a Baptist church, a community church, a Christian church, Pentecostal church. And then maybe they even get the, the Adair Progress, like this past Thursday, and they open it up to that one page. And there's hundreds, hundreds of churches listed in Adair County alone. They've even, you know, visited a few of these churches before. And they know that they're not all the same. Right? This one church they visited has a pastor, while the other church they visited had a preacher. This church that they visited, uh, the, the, the man who stood in front of the congregation wore maybe a special robe, a special outfit, while the other church they visited, the man was simply in a suit. One congregation they attended played the guitar, played a rock band music, while the other simply sang songs from their voices. One church they visited, uh, they, they witnessed the, a baptism ceremony of a young baby, while another uh, church they visited maybe uh, taught that morning a lesson on how children are innocent and are no need uh, to be baptized. This one church they visited gave an inspirational, uplifting speech, but the Bible was never opened. While another church they visited, all that was preached was, was from the book. And so you see, your friend, just like many others, sees churches and religion today as sort of this uh, Burger King approach. You know, have it your way. Right? I can just go ahead and just pick the church that I want, that I feel most comfortable in. Uh, there was a saying that went around uh, a few years ago, uh, a slogan that a lot of churches had, which was, choose the church of your choice. And so people took hold of that, and they visited churches. They looked for churches that appealed to them and to their senses. And so the impression of your friend is that this must be all acceptable to God. Right? It's the norm, after all. But few, few have really ever considered what church does God want me to worship at? What church does he want me to be part of? The title of this lesson is Undenominational Christianity. Well, someone might ask, well, what does that even mean? You know, I think we understand the concept of denominations, right? We use it mostly in our money, right? If I said I had $100 in my wallet, which don't come afterwards asking if they can borrow $100 because I don't, but I might have $100 in my wallet, but you don't know what makes up that $100, Right? It could be five $20 bills, it could be ten $10 bills, it could be $25 bills, or some combination of all those. Right? But, but my $100 is made up of different denominations, right? different bills. Well, again, the, the, the world of religion looks at the landscape of religion and sees all of these different denominations making up Christianity. And so they, they see the Baptist denomination. They see the Catholic denomination. They see the Pentecostal denomination. And sadly, some even look at the church, the church of Christ, the church in Scripture, as a denomination as well. And some even inside the church view the church as a denomination. But what I want us to consider this morning and this morning's study is what does the Bible have to say about denominationalism? Does God approve of this division? Did Jesus say in Scripture, find the church of your choice, find the church that you're more comfortable with and go there and attend and worship? Did the apostles like Peter and Paul and James, did they portray the notion that God's word could be interpreted, taught and applied differently in any church? 
in, in multiple churches. Again, our denomination is part of God's plan. So that's what's going to be our lesson here this morning. And the first topic I want us to notice here is what did Jesus have to say about this? You know, again, Jesus, we know, came to earth, lived a sinless life, went to the cross on our behalf. But when Jesus was here on earth, he promised, remember in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, that he would build his church. And notice again the singularity to that. He was going to build his church. But before ascending to the Father, after his crucifixion, he gave his disciples a mission. We see that in Luke and Matthew and Mark's account. In Luke, we don't really uh, talk too much about Luke's uh, great commission. But Luke says there, and that's the scripture at the bottom of the screen, verses 46 and 47. Uh, Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. That's the commission Jesus gave to his disciples. Matthew 28, we're more familiar with this one. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. But notice Mark's. Mark in 16, uh, verses 15 and 16, uh, Mark records Jesus saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, and he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Well, who are the saved? When we get into Acts chapter 2, we we notice what makes up the saved. The church is the saved. In Acts chapter 2, of course, we see that great gospel sermon that Peter preached, that first gospel sermon uh, that pricks the hearts of the men, the Jewish men who are listening. We don't even know if Peter got through his sermon before they they said, Peter, you know, what must we do to be saved? And Peter, of course, says in verse 38, to repent every one of you and and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then notice in verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, it says, so then those who had received his word, those who received Peter's word, it says, were baptized. And that day they were added about 3,000 souls. Well, what were they added to? Look at verse 47. At the end of this verse, it says, And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Some translations say, The Lord was adding to the church, day by day. That The church is made up of the saved. Jesus, again, the church was so precious to him. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, that we're told that he purchased the church with his blood. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23 tell us that he is head of the church. He is head of the church, which is his body. And that word church, we often hear, uh, is this Greek word ekklesia, which means the called out. Those who have been called out of the world into this covenant relationship with Christ. And the church that we read about in the New Testament, it is described in such a magnificent and beautiful way. It's eternal. In the Old Testament, it's even prophesied. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, uh, talks about how the one day uh, during this time period, which he's referencing the Roman time period, that the church would be established and it would be never be destroyed. But notice uh, another passage maybe we don't look at as too much as Isaiah chapter 2. Instead of Daniel chapter 2, notice Isaiah chapter 2 and the prophecy of the church here. Starting, uh, well, let's start at verse 1. The word which Isaiah, the son of Amoz, was concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. 
and will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, that we may walk uh, in his paths, and the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Isaiah's prophesying about the church here, the New Testament church, and he says it's going to come about in the last days. Uh, He says that his house, God's house, his church will be established. He said all nations will stream to it. It won't be just for the Jewish nation, but it'll be for all nations. The Jews and the Gentiles will stream to the church and it will begin in Jerusalem. And again, back in the New Testament, Jesus said while he was living on earth that the church would be established during their lifetime, some of their lifetimes. He says some of you standing here today will see the church in all its power and its glory. And again, that happens in Acts chapter 2. And we even know that because Paul, when he's writing to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, says that they had been transferred into the domain of darkness into his kingdom. The church has been established. The church we read about in Scripture is beautiful. But what did Jesus have to say about those uh, in the church, those who are saved again? Notice in John chapter 17. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to John chapter 17 because we're going to read a few passages from here. This is a prayer that's often referred to as the Lord's Prayer or the High Priestly Prayer. In John chapter 17, all it is, this whole chapter is Jesus' prayer that he has during the last week of his life. And it's such a beautiful prayer. The first five verses, he, he's talking or he's praying that God will glorify him. In verses uh, 6 through 19, uh, he's praying for those immediate disciples around them. Right? They're, they're serving in this world and Jesus is praying on their behalf. But notice starting in verse 20 through 26. Because in, in this prayer that Jesus gives in chapter, again, John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. Jesus is going to be praying for future disciples. He's going to be praying for you and I. Uh, Listen to what he says. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, and they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you and these have known you that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with, with which you love me may be in them and I in them. But again, focus there on verses 20 and 21. Jesus says, I'm praying on these on their behalf and that they may all be one. Back in preaching school, uh, we were on a door knocking campaign in downtown Knoxville. Uh, Tennessee, and it happened to be raining, storming that day, and so we couldn't go out. And so, uh, to uh, keep us attentive, to keep us, you know, busy, the, the local preacher there uh, kind of put us all on the spot and said, "Okay, for the, uh, I'm going to give you a topic, and you only get five minutes to prepare, and then you got to go and preach it." And so, one of the the preaching students, uh, his name was David. He was given the the topic of unity, and so he gets up there at the podium. 
and he starts uh, preaching this, you know, this five minute lesson that he only had five minutes to prepare about unity. And he goes directly to John chapter 17. And as he's reading through this, uh, through these verses, he just starts bawling. He's crying. He can't get through these verses because it hits him. It hits him that our Lord's desire is for all those who believe in him to be one. And you look out at the, again, the religious world today and notice that we're not all one. And and it hit him so hard. And every time I read these passages, you know, I start to tear up as well. Because, again, this was Jesus's eternal plan for the one true church to exist. What does it mean to be one? What does it mean to be one? Let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say about that. And if you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, this is, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is the passage that uh, Brenton just read to us a moment ago. But Paul's going to answer that question. Again, what does it mean to be one? See, the, the church in Corinth, you know, again, the poster child for uh, bad things, because there's a lot of things that Paul has to correct them in this letter. In chapter 1, the first chapter, uh, we notice the first thing that Paul is going after is the division that's going on here in Corinth. You know, some of them were saying, you know, Paul's my favorite preacher. And some are saying, no, Peter, a Cephas, he's my favorite preacher. Some were saying, Apollos, he's my favorite preacher. You know, he's the one that I want to follow. But Paul says, has Christ been divided? Right? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Again, and look at specifically there in verse 10. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree... And that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. You notice those four things that he tells the Corinthian church? He tells them uh, that you need to all agree. Or maybe your translation says, speak the same thing. You need to all agree. Well, how do you do that? From studying the same source? From reading that source? Right? That's our playbook. And so to understand our God's will for us, we need to study that book. He says, so that you all agree. Number two, that there be no divisions among you. And number three, he says that you need to be made complete or made perfectly joined together or united having the same mind. To have the same mind means, you know, you understand what the scriptures say, but also number four, have the same judgment. You know how to apply it correctly. You know what the scriptures say and you know how to apply it correctly. See, the right understanding will lead to a right application of God's word. Later on in this, uh, in this same letter, in, ch- in chapter 12, verse 25, Paul writes, So that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. That word there, division, uh, also translated sometimes as schisms. Remember, the body is the church. Jesus is the head of the church. He says, have no division, have no rift, no separation. Right? Because unity cannot prevail when there's a rift, when there's separation in the body. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul lets us know that unity is something that we must work at. We have to work at unity. Again, in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 3, he says, Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then he goes on to tell us in the next few verses uh, the basis of our unity. He begins by saying in verse 4 that there is one body. Uh, remember, the body is the church. There is one body and there's one spirit, just as you are also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all. Right? Paul says there are seven uh, basic uh, uh, points to our unity uh, to one, one another. But again, notice that first one he mentions is the body. There is one body. 
And again, certainly when we read through uh, Paul's writings, certainly uh, Paul taught the opposite, again, of what we see today in the modern religious world uh, of these denominations. So the third thing I want us to ask ourselves this morning is, why are we not all united? You know, it's rather a sad reality when we look at the landscape of the religious world. Humanity has not done a very good job of following and Jesus' wish there in that prayer of John chapter 17. Again, think of worldwide Christianity. Sometimes we'll use the word Christendom to kind of encompass all those who proclaim to be Christians. And we think of the thousands of religious organizations all claiming to follow Jesus, all claiming to go to heaven, yet teach different things. Teach different things on salvation issues. That's not God's plan nor his desire. Uh, We do read in Scripture of different congregations that Paul helped establish. There's a church in Corinth. You know, there's a church in Philippi. There's a church in Laodicea and so forth. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17, that he taught the same thing in every church everywhere. He didn't teach a different doctrine in Philippi that he taught in Corinth. He taught the same thing everywhere he went. See, the religious world can't claim to follow the same book, but do things differently. Right? Logically, that just that cannot work. That does not make sense. Think of, uh, think of the example of baptism. Right? You have one uh, church that will say that uh, baptism is necessary for the forgiveness of sins. It adds you to the church. It adds you to his church. But then you'll have another church that will say it's not a requirement. Uh, it's recommended. It's suggested. It's suggested, but it's not required in order to receive salvation. Well, again, can they both be right? Logically, they can't. One congregation, one church will say that worship is, is necessary and that God requires it of his people. While another church may say, you know, it, it's, uh, it's optional at best. You don't have to worship. Well, again, if there, we're reading through the same book, how are we coming to these two different conclusions? Either one is right, one is wrong, or both are wrong, but neither both of them can be right. Again, the body of Christ has been fractured and leading to division. We see this all the way back. If you study church history, uh, these past 2,000 years, since the, the day that the church was established in A.D. 30 or A.D. 33, whatever timeline you use, you know that the church has been fractured and it's led to division. Again, Jesus addressed this in John chapter 17. He knew this was going to happen. And again, you can almost, as my friend David, as he was preaching that lesson, you can almost hear the tears in Jesus' eyes as he leads this prayer. See, men start to teach their way, you know, their opinions, uh, their uh, favorites, and then denominations form as a result of that. You know, the word denomination is not even in Scripture. We can't find that word even in Scripture. Not a single one. And and go back to Acts chapter 2. Remember when Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, and, and the Lord will add you to his church? We'll ask ourselves, what denomination were they added to? Well, not a single one. There was no denominations then at that time. And the majority of denominations, if you research, and I, you know, if you're thinking uh, about researching one, I uh, you know, would ask you to uh, go ahead and do that. And notice, uh, usually uh, when you notice that, uh, you're going to notice that they were organized or they were founded right around this time called the Reformation period, some 500 years ago. Uh, the, 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 the claim, a claim to those who you know, founded that denomination started some 500 years ago. But again, the Jerusalem gospel, the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
again, uh, formed 2,000 years ago, uh, back in Acts chapter 2. But again, this departure was predicted. This departure, uh, as Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I put some of these verses up here on the board. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And notice Paul says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of hypocrisy of lies seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Notice Paul doesn't say that they're going to fall away from the faith and never follow uh, Christ anymore. But he says they're going to fall away from the faith, but they're going to pay attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. See, they're going to maintain a connection to religion, but it's no longer the faith. They're going to teach lies and hypocrisy. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside the miss. But you remember Jesus' words as well in Matthew chapter 7, all the way back on the Sermon on the Mount. When he was teaching, and he said, uh, again in verses 21 and 23 of Matthew chapter 7, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But it's he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And Jesus says on that day, he's going to say to some, I never knew you. It's not that he knew them and that they fell away from him. But he said, I never knew you. Right? Uh, they never became one of his disciples. Although they professed him in this life, Lord, Lord, he says, I never knew you. They somehow, they deceived themselves. They, they believed a lie. They, they took someone's word for it. They never investigated what the scriptures had to say for themselves. John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus says that it's his word that will judge us on the last days. Friends, denominationalism is serious business. Again, it was never part of God's plan. It was never wanted. Right? Christ wanted us all, all of his followers, to be one, to be united. Is it Christ's fault that man has messed this up? Well, no. Again, he and his apostles warned that this would happen. And so uh, my final point that uh, I want us to notice here this morning is what can we do about it? What's some application points that we can make about uh, denominationalism? And the first one I want us to notice is that we need to appreciate the narrowness connected to what the Lord desired. Right, someone may be listening to this sermon one day on the radio or over the internet and might be thinking, you know, this preacher is uh, narrow-minded. Right? But notice how Jesus also is narrow-minded as well when it comes to the church. Right? Uh, in Acts, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus has the authority. Man does not have authority to make up rules. Man does not have authorities to create churches. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Notice the, the narrowness of the one gospel. Notice the words of Paul in Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 6. He says this, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Paul says there's one gospel. 
It should never be changed. It should never be altered. It should never be manipulated. Uh, he says, even if an angel came to you and told you something different, you should not believe that. It is as the Lord presented it. It is as the apostles taught it. You remember in Luke chapter 8, verse 11, Jesus is giving the, the, the parable of the sower. And he begins by telling them that, that, the, that the, the seed represents the word of God. Right? Here's the seed to uh, Christianity. This is the word of God. And what I can do, because the, the word of God is a seed, you know, I could go into a, a, a different country. I could go to a country where Christianity has never been a part of, never been an influence. And I could take this seed and I could teach the people from this seed about being a Christian. And you know what's going to result from that for those who have that good soil in their heart? They're not going to become a Baptist. They're not going to become a Lutheran or a Methodist or a Catholic because those things are not in the scripture. They're simply going to be Christians, New Testament Christians. That's what the seed produces. One gospel. And then also notice the, the one way. Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 13 and 14. Again, I know we're all very familiar uh, with this passage but jesus says enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and there are many who enter through it for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it number two what can we do about denominationalism not just appreciate the narrowness connected uh, to what the lord desired but number two follow closely the warning of first john chapter four verse one uh, the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4, uh, writing to these Christians, verse 1 says, tells them to test the spirits, to see, to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test the spirits. Uh, he's, he's not referring to you know, disembodied uh, uh, people, but he's talking about uh, people. You and I have spirits. We are spirits. And so he says, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because, again, many false prophets have gone out into the world. Coincidentally, tonight in tonight's lesson, and I hope that you'll be here, uh, we're studying through 2 Peter, and we've come to chapter 2, and it's all about false teaching, false teachers. And so if you want to know more about uh, these false teachers and how Peter uh, describes them, please come back tonight. But again, he says, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And in order for you and I to do that, we need to be courageous people. We need to be people of commitment. Because again, our friend, our friend that we talked about at the beginning, they may be following something different. Can you and I endorse that? Can you and I endorse this, this different gospel, this gospel that does not come from Scripture but from man? We need to have a conversation with them. But we also need to have a conversation with them in love. Have you read these verses? Have you read John chapter 17 and the Lord's desire? Have you read about the oneness of the body in Ephesians chapter 4 and the one church that Jesus said he would build? Have you ever thought about these things? You know, those are questions that we need to bring up to them. And the final point I want us to make this morning is that we can never become comfortable with it. Second John chapter 9, the apostle wrote, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching of Christ, he has both the Father and the Son. Again, this is the opposite of what our Lord prayed for. This is the opposite of what our Lord gave his life for. We must wear the name Christian and Christian only. We must live faithfully in the church that he established. Not a church that was uh, organized and came about 500 years ago, but that church that came out of Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago. 
that we read about in Acts chapter 2. Again, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. Again, Paul says that he is the Savior, the head of the body, which is the church. A body, we understand, is under control of the head. Jesus is the head. A body cannot function unless there is unity among its members. And so, again, we must never become comfortable with it. But again, to speak out in love to our friends and our neighbors. So again, this morning, what denomination are you? How do you answer that question? I know some of us will say, well, I'm non-denominational. I'm undenominational. Uh, this one I like a little bit better. I'm pre-denominational. Right? Because uh, uh, I'm not part of a denomination. Uh, denominations were, uh, came about far before the, the church of Christ. But might I simply suggest that I'm just a Christian? I'm just a, a New Testament Christian. Our Lord despises the division and therefore I want no part of it. I don't want to be part of a denomination. I'm simply striving to follow Jesus Christ and obey his holy words. Again, I'm not concerned about man-made traditions. I'm not concerned with the teachings of men. I'm not concerned with man-made creeds or, or religious books of, uh, outside of the Bible. If I'm going to do it in religion, you know, I want a BCV. You know what that stands for? Book, chapter, verse. If I'm going to do something in religion, I want a book, chapter, verse behind it. I want a thus saith the Lord behind it. Again, what does Jesus think when he looks down at all of this man-made religion, again, Jesus desired unity. He pled for unity. He prayed for it. And he also died for it. I want to make sure that I'm doing and that you're doing all that you can to promote his will for unity. But again, never at the expense of disobeying his word. May we all love unity as much as he did and strive for it as well. Let us encourage people not to join the church of their choice but rather urge them to respond obediently to the gospel of Jesus Christ through, through faith, through, through repentance, confession, and baptism, so that they may be added to the church of Christ's choice. And this morning, if you have not been added to the church, if you have not been added to uh, the Lord's church, the, again, the one that we've read about here in Scripture, might I ask you to reevaluate your life here this morning? Uh, maybe maybe uh, you were baptized in a denomination. You know, maybe you were baptized somewhere outside of the church. Consider that here this morning. The Lord says, in, again, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16 that we just read, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. And as we go into Acts chapter 2, those who were being baptized were added to the church. And this morning, if you have not been added to the Lord's church, we would love more. Uh, nothing more than to study with you about that this, this morning, to see what the scriptures have to say or to help you with your walk in this life. Or uh, if you need the prayers of this congregation, of course, we would love the, the opportunity to pray for you this morning. If you need those prayers, uh, if you have any need, again, please let us know as together we stand and sing this song of invitation.